Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, happy Monday. My guest today is a writer, illustrator, adventurer, filmmaker, and the creator of semirad.com. Not so much a website, but a channel for, in their own words, things regular folks can do, adventures for the every person. It's a website for those of us crushing it, kind of. Since a problematic relationship with alcohol led to a stint in rehab at age 23, they have gone on to get a master's degree, cycle across America, author multiple books, create award-winning short films, speak to international audiences, run 52 marathons in a year, and multiple 100-mile ultramarathons. Their editorial work has appeared in Alpinist, Outside, National Geographic Adventure, Bikepacker, Adventure Cyclist, and dozens of other publications, and their clients have included La Sportiva, Strava and Airtex. These are heady accolades, however, it is their wry, self-deprecating humour and relatability that has earned their essays, cartoons and infograms such a dedicated following. They make you realise how ridiculous life is, not just their life, but everyone's life. Yes, they write and draw about running, but they also write about eggs and dog food and washing dishes, and perhaps all these things are metaphors for more fundamental reflections on life, or maybe to quote that essay on the topic, they are in fact just about cooking eggs, and that's enough. Hello, welcome to the podcast, and please do introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, that was a pretty great introduction. Um, I don't know. I would, my name is Brendan Leonard, and I I run a little bit, and I create uh, uh, compulsively in order to not have to get a real job, I guess I would say. <laughs> Hi, Brendan. So I'm going to start us off by setting a scene for you. Okay, so we're in a diner, just your average American roadside diner. We're both sat at the counter with cups of black coffee. I don't know how you take your coffee, but go run with this with me. I've noticed your fully loaded bicycle outside and I've got four questions for you, which you can interpret however you wish. Where are you headed? Where did you start? How many miles do you ride a day? And what do you eat? And you want me, you want me to answer those? Boy, I mean, the last time I've done something like that was actually in Norway, I feel like. Um, but <laughs> I, I rode across, I rode across America uh, in 2010 I, the way you set that up I was like this sounds like this sounds like an Alistair Humphreys uh way of like 
he he would love this line of questioning as well as setting it in an American diner because he's obsessed <laughs> with crappy American diner coffee. Um, yeah, those were I thought of those are like the four questions every single person asks you when they're when they see you on a touring bicycle, and it's it's like this. Um, I feel like we don't talk to each other when we travel in in the U.S. You know, it's like there's just no um we don't have that culture maybe in smaller towns i guess possibly but we're always just in a hurry to go uh to to get to the next place but if you cruise through somebody's town on a touring bicycle it's like this sort of um they they realize you're a very harmless weirdo and like or they th they think that and so people are feel very free to come up to you and ask you those those four questions exactly and when we did this trip we bicycled from California to Florida, so uh, Pacific Ocean to Atlantic Ocean. We were riding, I think we averaged 60 miles a day. Um, and then we tried to eat, I think, like 8,000 calories a day. Um, I mean, it wasn't like we were measuring it, but we definitely ate three Snickers bars each and three, at least three cans of Coca-Cola a day, if not more. Um, there were multiple days where we split three large pizzas and then I would eat dessert too. Um, it was, it was a very free time in my life to eat whatever I, whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Um, not that the food selection is like unbelievably great as you're cruising around small towns in the U S but boy, the volume, you can't beat the volume. So uh, <laughs> I still dream about those days. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago now. Where do you get your pizza hits from now? Um, we actually have a really good pizza place here that um, is a, I'm, I live in Montana, which is, and we're in a town of 75,000 people in the Western part of the state in the mountains. Um, and it's not known for food, but we actually have a very, like I would put this pizza place up against anywhere in the world. Um, and it's a, it's a guy from New Jersey who moved here, um, which may have something to do with it. Uh, the, the fact that the pizza is really good, but it's it's fantastic. It's called Biga, which is the name of like a sourdough starter. Um, but it is, I describe it as people who know how to make food but choose to make pizza. Um, so so that's my that's my number one. But I will eat anything. I don't care. I don't discriminate. I will eat frozen pizza from from the grocery store and it's all just a joy to me I don't I don't mind at all um so yeah do you see a bit of that in yourself the knowing how to make food but choosing to make pizza uh I don't know you mean like in, in an art sense yeah no I feel like that I feel like that's the opposite. I feel like I want to make art and I just do what I'm, what I can actually am capable of. Um, I don't really have, I can't really draw. So, um, that's funny that I would like, I have, you know, I was just at a, um, sort of a conference over the weekend or last week and they, they'd asked for like a job title. I just put artist. And I think it's the first time I've written that on anything. I've been like, and then my name tag showed up and I was like, Oh boy, I don't know about this. Am, am I, um, but it's, it's, I think I would not be the only sort of artist who says that about themselves. They don't really have confidence in their skills, but they have something to say. Um, 
which I think is great. I think everybody should do that and we should all be free to do those things. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I, you know, I, I'm a writer. I've made a living as a writer for a long time. I really don't know very many big words. Um, and I don't think I probably went through the proper channels to like, um, you know, write literary works. Um, but I'm just that kind of writer, I guess. And then the same thing with artists, you know, like being an artist and drawing things. I'm like, I don't really know how, what I'm doing, but, uh, I know I have something to say and visually it may, it, I think it would work visually. So here I'll do this. And people don't seem to be that offended by my, my work, uh, that I'm a terrible artist. So, um, or a terrible drawer, I guess. So, yeah, I would say the pizza place is more like someone who really, who like went to art school and is like classically trained, but then chooses to make something that's a, a food for the people, um, as opposed to like, you know, high end, like French cooking or something like that. And I'm the opposite. I didn't go to art school, but I'm just like trying to make, make art. So yeah. <laughs> have they approached you to get on their marketing team? Yeah, that's <laughs> You know, I, I don't think they need me. I mean, it'd be fun. Like I would take, you know, I would work for free pizza, but, um, but yeah, I don't think, I think they're doing fine. I don't think they're like, Hey, we really need some more sales. I think they, I think they're crushing pretty, pretty hard. I'm talking of kind of the weight of, of labels really with, with jobs. I mean, you, you described yourself as just avoiding having a real job. And it's kind of interesting because you write about real life and the absurdity of real life so what element of that feels like a fantasy and an avoidance of reality oh boy just um the fact that i get it get up every day and more or less do what i want um to a certain extent you know if i if i do what i want for several months at a time and it doesn't you know include work i'm definitely gonna I'm definitely going to run out of money, but um, I can kind of choose what topics to write about, how I write about them, things I draw, film projects I work on. I can, I'm sort of at the point in my career where I can say no to things if I don't feel like it's a, a good thing or if it's, um, you know, if, if it would be something that I don't, don't want to spend my time doing. Um, that said, I'm not getting rich, so maybe I should be saying yes to some other things, but uh it's uh it, i have the freedom to like on a tuesday if i want to go out for breakfast i usually can um or if i want to you know play with my kid for half of the day i can do that and work the other half or whatever um and those are the small freedoms the other freedoms i can just you know i can run at any time of the day i need to you know i don't have to get up at 5 a.m and r make sure i get my run in before work or something like that i can go at two or three in the afternoon which i often end up doing because i'm terrible at uh, I have no discipline when it comes to running. Um, but, uh, and then the bigger things, like you just kind of can choose how you want to, to make, make work and make what you want to make and who you want to work with to, to a certain extent. So um, that's always been the number one thing for me, like freedom, not in the, not in the like uh, ugly American sense of freedom, but just on a daily basis, the small things, um, being able to, being able to choose little things like that. Yeah. You mentioned creative freedom there. What are you most curious about in life at the moment? Curious? Oh boy. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you know, very. This is a very specific thing, but we this came up at dinner the other night about um, with some friends that 
um, this idea of things that we've lost in the wilderness um, accidentally, you know, accidentally. And I, I kind of want to collect sort of crowdsource some stories from people like what's something you that will you'll never find, you know, like I in the days of carrying a digital camera because we didn't have cameras on our phones. I actually dropped one off a rock climb um, that I think I was 250 or 300 feet up this this climb and just accidentally unclipped it from my harness and it just fell and we never found it. So it's out there somewhere. And there's I have a couple little things like that. I'm like totally not. I don't litter. I like leave no trace. I don't you know, I take everything with me. Um, but but I think that we've all made a couple mistakes in our lives where we're like, oh, yeah. You know, a friend, a friend was like, oh, yeah, I have a pack raft that I don't know where it went. You know, like it just I like it just shot down the river and uh, we never were able to, to catch up to it. Um, and I think people probably have some stories about that. But that's probably not the the like deep, uh, you know, intellectual answer you're looking for. But that's that's what I'm curious about this week anyway. No, it was, I wasn't looking for, for a deep answer. I was just thinking about things that I've lost in the wilderness and on like completely the polar opposite of a massive pack craft, I lost a raisin. It was a very important raisin though. I was using it because the, uh, the top had come off of my, um, my hydration flask in the middle of a race. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm all the water's going to go out. Like, how am I going to survive? So I, I, thought this through and thought right what can I do I'm going to stuff a raisin in this hydroflask I lost the raisin and it was it, it was a bit of a meltdown moment to be honest this raisin getting lost in the wilderness <laughs> would you just would you just like pull it out and squirt water in your mouth and then stick it back in <laughs> it was a <laughs> <laughs> You're making it sound a lot worse <laughs> now that I think no, about I'm it. No, like, I'm just thinking of the logistics of it, like, kind of, like, yeah, because I've pulled those tops off water bottles before and been like, oh, this is not good, you know, this is a bad situation, I need to get this thing fixed, but, yeah. Yeah, wow. this is like the sacred raisin that it was a bit like kind of backwashing a raisin, really, every time that you wanted to swig some water. <laughs> I mean... Honestly, it's like I was thinking of like pieces of candy that would fit in there and like, but they would sort of disintegrate over time because of all the water. So that a raisin is probably a, that might be your best case, really, unless you find a perfectly shaped rock that you could stick in there. Yeah, um, that was, I mean, boy. it was dark. It was dark. So I couldn't go rock hunting. So the raisin felt like the best fit for it. And it was doing well until, <laughs> until it made a break for freedom. <laughs> oh, my God. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> You can have that one for a cartoon. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to follow the email. Yeah. But, yeah, thanks. No, despite you being interested in that very focused thing, you, you strike me as someone who probably has like hundreds of tabs open on your computer and lists and sub lists of ideas potentially. Um, does it ever feel overwhelming the amount of ideas that you have? Because when you make work about life, that means that all of life is also potentially a canvas, raisins and all. So how do you go through that process of picking and choosing? Um, kind of at this point, it's just like the most urgent thing, like what needs to get done. Um, like the biggest thing that's top of my mind right now is that I need to write my newsletter for Thursday and the idea 
I have half of the idea written down. I just need to like write the other half and then draw, draw some drawings for it. Um, but yeah, it's like, I've always had since, and I, I, um, I was just talking to somebody who's like trying to figure out how to start out being creative or making themselves create. And I've, I've had a weekly, I had a weekly deadline that I self, I set for myself when I started my blog in 2011 it said, I'm going to write one story or whatever, whatever blog posts per week for a year and see how it goes. And thankfully it, it um, started to, you know, get readers and, you know, get, uh, it started to get out there. So it, it had feedback, so I kept doing it. But I did that for 10, 10 years straight every week. And now I do once every two weeks. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sustainable, creative output for me, along with all the other things I do. But that's the one thing, like, I just keep having to do that. Um, and then I, I, that doesn't feel like the only thing I want to do in my life. It's only a certain part of the audience and um so i enjoy solving other problems and writing books and like the occasional video is is pretty fun too and they all are these different things that you can do with your brain and different ways to tell stories and um so some days i'm lucky and i can just say what's gonna what's the most fun thing i can work on right away you know um other days it's just like this has to get done and uh with a with a new baby at home you know we are my wife is also works from home as a writer and editor and so we're both we don't have childcare yet besides a, a little babysitting so we're kind of both juggling and like trying to be the most efficient possible with the hour or two we get here or there so the choices are yeah i was just talking about freedom and now it sounds like i don't have any freedom so um <laughs> yeah but no, it's, uh, you know, I, I do, I have piles everywhere right now. Like I was, I had to, I was a minute late getting on the call. Cause I was just like clearing shit off the desk. Like trying to like get, like, I can't have all these boxes here. I'm going to bump into them while we're talking and it's a disaster. So I just got back from a week of travel. So that's not an excuse, but, uh, I did not prepare my office for, for a podcast interview. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a mess. I have posts all over the walls and like lists and stuff. And then I have lists on my phone. I have at least 12 browser tabs open on this iMac I have above me. And then the laptop I'm recording on, there's probably another 12 or 15. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, you can't really get paralyzed by that. It's like you have to you have to do something right. Um, and, you know, when you're not doing work, you know, it's like I think people I think we can we can really think to ourselves like, well, I'm sending emails, I'm doing meetings, that's doing the work, you know, like, it doesn't produce if it doesn't produce the thing, at the end of the day, it's not really doing the work. Um, so having trying to figure out that discipline to be like, you got to make the thing, you have to make the thing or work on making the thing every day. That's, that's what I do. And just you just keep making a little progress, kick the ball forward just a little bit whatever it is. Um, but we know when we're, we know when we're just like scrolling through Twitter or, or whatever, or just like watching YouTube videos and like, just because I'm sitting in front of my laptop does not mean I'm working, you know, nowadays. Um, so yeah, it's, um, choosing is like part of it's just the urgency of something needing to get done or having a deadline. Um, 
I'm completely disorganized, but I do not miss deadlines um, as a as a personal rule. So that's the, that's the only organization system I have. It's like, oh, that's due. Holy shit, I got to do that. Um, <laughs> that's that's it. That's the that's the only thing. I love it that your approach to deadlines is the holy shit approach. <laughs> that, that's an organizational system in itself, right? <laughs> you know what? That's that's actually a great way of putting it. Maybe I should maybe I should like sort of uh, try to just write that out a little bit and or flesh that out and, and give it to other people as sort of a no. This is a way of being organized, um, but I, I don't know. I don't know how other people work, but. I read a long time ago, and I think this actually might have been made up that like a routine is actually bad for creativity. <clears throat> and I doubt that's a rule that is hard and fast across um, the entire population, if it's even true. But I've always, I've like, I've had a hard time like tearing myself away from that idea. I'm like, no, I just need to be free to just like do whatever. And you're like, you know, maybe it's working, maybe it's not working. Maybe I do actually need to get organized and have like <laughs> an editorial calendar or just even like a to-do list that lives in one spot as opposed to just all over the place. But I don't know, It's I, the work is getting done. So it maybe it works for now. Well, clearly it does get done. And it's interesting because in contrast to that sort of information overload, um, things like your cartoons are almost like pithy, haikus they're crafted in such a way that these tiny stories then telescope out into these more profound truisms um, and do you ever feel pressure when you're working around knowing if something will land how do you gauge if it's good and is that something that you're aware of when you're working that's that's actually really tricky nowadays like um just because of you don't know how visible something is anymore with social media and um, well, almost all media that that we're just supplying to these, you know, big companies like Meta and Instagram. Well, Instagram's owned by Meta. You know, you don't know what how it's being amplified or made, being made invisible. Um, so it's really hard to tell, and I try not to get super hung up about it anymore. Um, especially like I did for a long time. I think it was like two years I did three drawings on Instagram a week. And, um, you know, you, it's easy to be like, well, this one got 5,000 likes, so that must be the best. Um, and what I've decided, well, and now it's like, I don't, I can't take that as an indication of if something even, you know, is good or not, because I don't know if Instagram just like hit it because I offended the algorithm in some way, you know, previously. Um, or or why something took off but uh i've paid attention i can see when people share uh, one of my drawings with someone else you can't like see who did it you can just see that it was shared with someone and you can see it was shared several hundred times and that's awesome because i can i can you know people in theory are saying hey jeff this reminded me of the thing we always talk about when we go running or you know between maybe a spouse or roommates who live together and like this is the thing about doing the dishes or whatever and hopefully they're laughing uh you become this um aid to dialogue between two people so they're connecting with your art not necessarily with me but with each other 
because you put something out there. Um, I mean, there's also a, a chance that they're like, this guy, Brendan, is a total idiot. Look at this stupid drawing he made. I don't know if that, that hopefully that's not the majority of cases, but um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like quality is one thing and like, there's just so much of it and you're, you're trying to put out so much stuff that you can't really just, you can't really get bummed out when something you worked on for a while doesn't go anywhere. You just kind of have to be like, oh, on to the next thing. Um, my main goal is to just not make people mad. You know, I think there's just so much stuff out there where we are like trafficking in anger, you know, where, or fear, you know, where it's like, oh, if I put this out, it'll get clicks and people will argue in the comments and that'll get even more engagement. I'm like, oh man, that just feels gross to me. Like I can't, I can't make a living doing that. It's like joy does not spread nearly as quickly as fear and anger, um, which kind of sucks, but like, I'm not going to produce that. Like, I just don't want, the worst thing that could happen for me is I put something out there and somebody says, as a blank person, this offended me and hurt my feelings. I'd be like, oh man, I didn't, that's not what I want my art to do. I don't want it to be the worst part of somebody's day. You know, I don't want them to be like at the office, pull out their phone, see something I drew and it makes them feel bad. Like that's a, that's a terrible way to make a living. You know, I might as well quit. Um, whereas if somebody, or whereas, I'm sorry. I mean, alternatively, if somebody picks up their phone and says, oh my gosh, this totally reminds me of my friend, Jen. I have to send this to her right now. It's so funny. That's ideal to me. Um, that's, a, that's a way to, to spread joy and um, just make people's lives a little better. You know, Actually, ideally they would like do that and then they'd be like, how can I send this guy a thousand dollars for making my day? <laughs> they send me a thousand dollars and then we then we move on to the next thing, but. Um, yeah. A thousand dollars a share. You're going to get rich quick. <laughs> I mean, like two thousand, you know, whatever you got is fine. I'm like, that's cool. Whatever you think it's worth. Yeah. So <laughs> buy me a coffee or two thousand dollars. Like, there's, there's no other options. <laughs> Those are the only two available. <laughs> Tip jar. Yeah. <laughs> It actually, what you were saying, it also puts me in mind of a really poignant essay that you wrote um, about the passing of your dog last year. And um, when you talked about him being just a dog um, is what made you love him. And in that, if you don't mind me quoting it, because um, it is really lovely, um, you write, in those moments of awkward social interactions with other dogs at the dog park, I think I was most in love with Ralph because he seemed to be just like me or who I was becoming more as I got older. He was interested in others and maybe into a bit of people watching, but didn't really want to get on the dance floor and preferred to run alone where he could follow his nose and not worry about what others were doing or how to interact with them. Um, and there's a lot there about like your work just being what it is. Um, in the hope that it's not going to make people angry and might hopefully bring some joy but also this kind of dichotomy between your work being so popular and the aim of it to be engaging people but then it also being a way of you almost kind of turning away from judgment and sort of preconceived notions of who or what you should be too and I wondered if you could just reflect on that dichotomy yeah, I mean, 
I guess a lot of it too is just you're making notes to yourself a lot of the time, you know, where kind of working through a thing and maybe saying, this is the way I should be. You know, maybe I'm not necessarily that person all the time who gets it right, but if I were the ideal version of myself, I would, I would do this more often. So, and then I phrase it sort of differently. So it doesn't sound like a, a like I'm talk, talking into the mirror, I guess. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of that, um, I guess. So in, in like even watching, I don't, I try not to go back and read old stuff that I wrote. Uh, very often but you know watching that change and then thinking about how I wrote something eight years ago and maybe I don't actually believe that anymore you know occasionally I will happen upon something on my website I'll be like I don't think I'm really I don't think I'm really I don't think this is good anymore I don't think I want to put this out there not that anyone is reading these eight or nine year old stories or whatever but I'll just like quietly take it down and you know put it into drafts and be like, okay, that's, you know, that was, that was who I was back then. But like, maybe I don't want to put that out there now. It's not like controversial or anything. It'll just be like little things where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I believe that anymore or so much that I want to keep it on the internet. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And uh, sometimes it, it can be a little, like you're, I guess to me, a writer's job or an artist's job is to try to take a feeling or a idea that a lot of people have had or other people have had and synthesize it and put it into words or a drawing or whatever makes sense so that somebody sees it and says, ah, me too. You know, I didn't, I've thought this exact same thing for a long time and never had the words for it. You know, that's, that's doing your job. Um, which is creates connection in um, with other people and makes people feel less alone, um, which I think is what we what I would like to. That's the ideal for me. Um, so the things where you can make a great living, you know, being judgmental of other people and like just telling people how to think, obviously, and like being snarky and clever about it and in a way that alienates half the people on earth but the other half who are angry in the same way you're angry um you know are really big fans of your work but as that was previously stated that's like i just think that would feel really empty you know and people are getting rich doing it and i think about it, i'm like man what do you tell your kids like what do your kids think you do for a living all day and you're like well dad is a dad's an asshole you know I mean, <laughs> we have this nice house because dad's a huge asshole um so i don't i just don't i don't know it's very it's such a weird time all the things we know about people and how how to make a living off ideas and and emotions and stuff like it's i don't know i'm glad i'm glad that's not i'm glad i'm not i'm glad our mortgage is not that expensive where i'd have to be like well i guess i better start being an asshole to people and i'll get some more clicks you know or, or whatever um and, and the money will come because you can do it but yeah it's interesting what you said about kind of uh, your work sort of being notes to self because we also connected through um another book so many olympic exertions which it's kind of a collection of notes to the self on how to live or rather why to live and i wonder has humor and creativity have they been a way of you 
sort of managing episodes of personal turmoil in your life? Or in other words, kind of have have they been those notes for self for you? Yeah, for sure. I think like um the one I've been working on this book idea since geez, like the mid two thousands and like tried to start getting it tried to get it published starting in two thousand nine and nobody wanted it. And then um eventually I got enough of an audience that somebody was interested and it got published in 2016 yeah um but it it was about um addiction and recovery and and then rock climbing um after that um and i thought that was the only that was like that was like this is the one story i have that i think could help people um and i i don't even know if i broke even on the book like as far as like spending my own money to tour with it and like try to get it out there and how many books it sold. But I do get the most emotional paychecks from that book. Like people will still write, you know, it's been, yeah, it's been seven years since it came out and I'll still get a couple of emails every few months or a year, you know, where people say, Hey, I'm going through this right now. And this is really helpful or even something completely unrelated. That's not um, substance abuse, you know, like cancer or, or something like that. Um, which is, which is amazing. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's a way of processing it, but also that's like, not to sound, uh, opportunistic or I don't know what the right word for it is, but like when you're going through some shit, that's when you have the biggest feelings and the most access to those feelings. You know, I think largely our lives with being able to be distracted 24 seven, we don't necessarily feel a lot on a daily basis, you know, myself included. I I think it's like not a great way to live, but when you are actually feeling something, you're, you have something to write about as opposed to like, check out all these memes I saw today, or, you know, I, you know, I, I answered 38 emails today or whatever it is, you know, which I think probably some of the only times the largest chunk of time that I spend away from devices is when I'm running. Um, you know, yesterday I ran, went on like a two hour trail run and took my phone out of my vest pocket several times to take photos of wildflowers, but never engaged with it. Otherwise was not like, Oh, okay. Well, I have it out to take a photo. I better check my email or see if anybody texted me. Um, if something really goes wrong, my wife will call me and it'll vibrate enough that I'll actually feel it. But other than that, I don't feel the it's in my vest. I don't feel the, um, the text messages or whatever's coming through, but and a lot of times I'm in a place where I can't even get notifications, which is amazing. But that's like, it's crazy to think like 15 years ago, that was the norm for me, like non-distraction and, uh, feeling everything. And sometimes I'm like, am I getting older? And I just don't, have as many uh visceral emotional experiences or am i just distracted all the damn time with all this crap who knows <laughs> it's interesting so that is um it's a vulnerable book um and vulnerability is also at the heart of what true clowning is about when we're at our most vulnerable is also where the laughter is is there a sense in which using humor is a way of clowning for you kind of in its truest sense 
Oh, I mean, yeah, I come from, I come from a, a long line of Irish people who are, I think, the masters of dark humor. Not my family, but like the Irish people in general and Irish writers in, in particular. And I'm not that good at it, but like we, you know, my mom's, my mom's, my mom's like 91% Irish or 94, I forget. So they were walking around telling everybody they were 100% Irish. And then somebody um, took took the DNA test and found out there was a little a little English blood in there somewhere. So uh, they're 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 all doing okay. But like literally, my mom, my uncle, my aunt, me. I think that was all. I was in the room. Maybe one. Yeah, with we're in my room in the room with my grandmother on her deathbed she's literally dying like we're literally watching her die i'm like holding her hand as the heartbeat is like slowing down and she's dying and we're like that whole day we were in there for hours and there was just jokes and like my aunt just kept making up these like stupid songs like just ridiculous like funny lyrics and singing them to her mother who was dying and i'm like well this this is, I was like, I mean, I, even I was like kind of appalled. But then I was like, this is very on brand, really. Like, this is what we kind of do. Um, and I hope people are having fun when this is happening to me, but I don't know, you know, like what else do we really have? Right. It's like anger or we could laugh our way through it. And um, yeah, another, I have not read this book yet. This is one of my wife and I favorite authors names, Brian Doyle. And he, He's a American of Irish descent who died a few years ago of brain cancer, but he's the master of like gratitude with humor, but also feeling. And he has a book in which it's a, it's takes place on a, on a boat and the ships like sort of, I don't know what it's called motto or whatever, but it's, it's laugh or quit. And I'm like, man, that is such a group. That should be our family crest. Like, you know, that should be our family <laughs> laugh or quit. Um, cause those are the choices we have, I feel like, um, but yeah. Uh, how did you find so many Olympic exertions? Do you remember? Um, I don't actually, I think it was, I don't remember how I found it. It, came, it was one of those books that just came to me and then I, <laughs> then I thought, oh, that looks good <laughs> and decided to read it. And then um, I, I mentioned it to Peter and said, like, have you read this book? Because you'd really like it. And he said, my friend Brenda gave it to me. <laughs> and then and then it led me to you. <laughs> I already knew you work, but it led me to interview you. <laughs> yeah, I handed him that book in 2020 on our writing workshop. And I think I let him read my copy that I was still in the middle of reading. Maybe I just gave it to him, but I think he might've bought it on his own. I don't know. Maybe I did send it to him. What a wonderful book though. Like just a book, of the construction of which is like so unique to me. Like that was, I mean, I, it's fiction, right? But it's like the narrator's name is like almost exactly the same as the author's name. Right. And clearly the author, tried to do a PhD and maybe didn't get it done as well. But oh, what a what a wonderful book. I, I think it's, it's, it's funny that you did read it because I think it's probably, I would guess it's only sold like 5,000 copies. You know, I don't think it's gone that, gone that far, but it's wonderful. 
No, it's got a really special place in my heart. I think it's just one of those things that everyone needs to read because it, no matter whether you have any interest in movement, running, anything, it's just about life. Yeah, and it's just a way of like taking all these little stories and like not like presenting the dots, but not necessarily connecting them for people. Not saying, and this is what this means, like so much of that sort of writing we can see nowadays, but it's like, just throw all this stuff on the plate. Here you go. Take away from it what you will. Masterful book. Yeah, there's no big reveal. There's no punchline to it. And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you found your way to live? Um, geez. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like not to be like super fatalistic about it, but I feel like I'm like, yeah, we should just like be here to help each other, make each other have as much fun as possible as we can, you know, through whatever times we're having. But um, yeah, I think that's 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 what gets me to create for sure. Um, you know, it's just trying to ease the maybe ease is the wrong word, but just, yeah, just try to help other people get through it, you know, um, in a way and, and, you know, working on myself at the same time, I guess. That's a very sloppy answer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it probably changes every, every year or so. Um, you know, two years ago, we didn't, we didn't have a baby. So it was like, it's a very, it's a very clear why a lot of days, you know, we wake up and you're like, okay, I have to take care of this thing because it definitely cannot take care of itself right now. Like, so your why is very immediate. And then like, there's like this, if someone else, you know, if, if my wife can take care of him for a couple hours, I can go after the other why and be like, okay, now I need to tell stories and, you know, help people get through their, get through their life. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I think that's this is as close as I can get. Yeah, and I ask it because like there's no like we were saying, there's no punchline with the book. So often I think people are kind of looking for that fundamental sort of like what's the meaning of life for me or how do I define myself right now? And like what mm -hmm. I'm hearing is you're kind of saying it's an evolving process that changes as we get older as well. Like having a kid that you can't that can't look after itself, that's a big change in like your why. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I always think like the meaning of life is finding the meaning of life, you know, and we probably won't know until very late, you know. Um, and if you think you know the meaning of life when you're young, you're probably full of shit uh, or just <laughs> arrogant, you know. I, I'm like, I'm just so, I'm so skeptical of people who are very, very sure of themselves, you know. It's like, oh, okay. Sure. Wonder what you'll think next year, you know? Um, and I think, I think we've been, I think lots of probably very bad things have happened to us as a, as a civilization because of people who are very sure of themselves. So on a micro <laughs> level, maybe we should all question more and be less sure of ourselves on a daily basis. Uh, I'm like, that's like, I'm the one thing I'm trying to work on is like ask more questions instead of trying to say things all the time. And, um, there was a great review. So do the right thing. Spike Lee's movie, do the right thing is my, is probably hundred percent my favorite movie ever. 
and Roger Ebert wrote a review of it at the time it came out. Um, and he said, you know, at the end of this movie, Spike Lee doesn't give you the answers. He invites you to ask more. He, he gives you the questions. And I think that's such a great way for a piece of art to exist in the world. We are like 90%, maybe not 90%, but the majority of things that we see that are successful are like very clear ending, very clear message. Good guys versus bad guys. Okay, the good guys won. Great. You know, that's, and that's very relaxing because at the end of the movie, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that was good. I shut that off and I can go to sleep. But the real movies I like to watch are the ones where you're, you're talking about it afterwards with the person you watched it with. Maybe the next day, you know, maybe a week, two weeks later, you're still thinking about it. Like, what did you think about that scene where they did that thing? Do you, what do you think that was supposed to, you know, where you're still going over it and do the right thing is like such a complicated movie that I'm still always thinking about that. Like every choice he made, like, what is this character supposed to mean? Every single character in that movie is flawed in some way where you're you're you don't like any of them like you kind of want to root for the main character but he's kind of not that great of a person either um so i think that's a, a really interesting way to live and um and make art you know uh there's a how do how do british people feel about ted lasso there's a scene scene in the first season where he's playing darts with rupert and he's like there's this great monologue about judging people less and being curious more, you know? And I'm like, we should all be doing this. Right. And like, that's how you get to know people as opposed to saying, well, that person's just X, you know, that person is just a, on a person who's on this side of the political spectrum. I have no use for them or they, they believe this. So obviously, you know, whatever. Uh, and we do that to ourselves a lot of times with like the things we put out there. Um, but, but I think it's, it's all, good for us to be more curious and I think that's probably the thing I need to work on the most that I'm trying to work on more um, is being curious as opposed to trying to trying to say what I think um, which is exhausting and a lot of times you're wrong so um, yeah I spoke yeah. to um to Kenyon and I know I think you're friends with Forrest aren't you the the Woodward yeah. I, I spoke to him about you know rural runners and that's very much they about like Canyon's campaign start with asking people questions um, rather than providing them with a set of answers. And I learned so much through our conversation about precisely that. He is, um, he is like just disarming in such a like inc incredible way, you know, where he, it almost seems like this innate thing that he, just it he just exists that way it's like he's not, not he's trying to do it you know like i mean this kid like graduated from harvard you know and he's like walking around rural maine like there's so many you know like our ideas of people who went to like one of the most prestigious universities in america are like oh they would totally look down their nose at rural people but ken is a rural person you know and um he's just such a he does not present like this egghead brainy um scholar you know he presents as this kind of like very accessible a little bit goofy just guy who's just running around in the woods you know and um i have run around the woods with him and he is very goofy while he runs around in the woods but <laughs> yeah, he's he's you know i've known him as a person for quite a while but i saw him on a panel with uh 
two conservative uh, folks who it was like a climate panel. And I just, it was just like a revelation to me about how he, how he interacted with people where it wasn't even like, you know, I think people could be guarded in that sense. And there was just no guard for him. He was just going to crack jokes and everyone's laughing and we're all, we're all talking about the same thing here. And it was, it was like, um, I would almost call it like a talent, you know, for that sort of thing. But I don't think it is. I think it's just the way he exists in the world. Um, maybe he would have a different answer for that, but, but yeah, just incredible work they're doing. Um, and, and so it, it gives me like hope for the future because where we're at right now in the U S it seems like, and you know, a lot of other countries, it's just like old white people who don't want to work together and just want to be enemies and like, like this is probably not a good sustainable way forward, but if people like Canyon, younger people are acting that way, I think maybe we have some hope, you know. Absolutely. And those are the people that are open to to hearing things and actually listening to them and, and asking questions rather than providing answers. And it's interesting you said about running around the woods with Canyon, because I know that he uses movement as a way of showing up for himself and then showing up for others. And I'm interested just to pivot us back to your uh, kind of relationship with movement. Um, I know that's kind of been a big part of you exploring those kind of why questions <laughs> as well. Um, would you say that's an accurate way of describing it? Yeah, I guess uh, when I started my writing career, when I started my writing career, um, I actually had to have a, I had an assignment for a class uh, in grad school that I had to get published in a magazine. And I was like, magazines? And I was only familiar really with the magazines you would see, the big glossy like national magazines. I'm like, how am I gonna get published in Rolling Stone or Time Magazine? And a friend of mine I took the class with was like, you should write something for Idaho Magazine, which is like this, sort of outdoorsy quasi tourism very small magazine for the state of idaho which is a very small you know population state in the u.s and she's like they pay 40 dollars. like they'll take anything i was like great and <laughs> my first time, you know, yeah it was like a road trip where we had driven around idaho and climbed the tallest mountain in idaho and gone and seen some other stuff and it was like wow i could this is could be a way to make a living and that was the start of my quote-unquote adventure writing career um it was only 40 bucks and like you got to write a lot of 40 dollar articles to to make a living but um it became it i realized that i could go do interesting things think about them and write about them as a way to make money and it it took me it took me like eight, nine years of that to be able to do it like full time. But um, it was like, this is the stuff I would be doing on the weekends anyway, because I love being outside and climbing mountains and, you know, backpacking and doing all that stuff. Um, and then it became, it became a way to make, make a living and, and do it as a career, um, as a very poorly paying career, but that was a lot of fun. So yeah. And you know, it's, I've just, it's gone through several iterations or evolutions. You know, I mostly was writing about rock climbing and mountaineering in the early, earlier years. And I just kind of stopped climbing for the most part and got into ultra running. Um, so for the last, gosh, like six or seven years, I've been doing that. 
Um, and that seems to be the audience, the proper audience for my age group, I guess. Like I'm in my mid forties now. And when I started, I was in my late thirties. And I think that's the actual age of people who are interested in learning about that stuff or talking about it. Um, whereas rock climbing, I feel like is mostly a younger crowd. Um, so I don't know what's left. If I stop moving in the outdoors, I don't know what I'm going to write about, but, um, but we'll see, I guess. When you got into running, I mean, you went straight into ultra running. What is that importance to you of doing hard things? And I, I kind of put hard things in sort of air quotes, really, because I think there's lots of hard things in life and, and running is perhaps oh. one of them. Yeah, well, I think I like I think a lot of people in that space do hard things very hard. And I kind of just am out there just kind of wandering around. I'm not like. I'm not monitoring my heart rate. I don't know. I've never, I don't know what tempo runs are. I don't know what recovery. I don't like, like sometimes people use lingo and I'm like, I should maybe look that up. But I'm like, nah, I don't think I want to. You know, I don't, like a lot of people will, you know, be like, yeah, I need to get in a workout. And I'd be like, ah, I'm, I don't really work out. I just like, I just like go jog around and think about stuff, you know, and um, that's kind of, you know, and, and like, I'm conscious of how much time it takes me, but I'm not like, and sometimes I try hard and I'm like, maybe I'll try to break my little personal Strava record for this trail or try to run a fast 5k or something, but it's always random. It's always like, I'm already out there and I'm like, I feel good today. I think I'm going to just charge pretty hard, but there's no sort of like training goals besides like a certain amount of mileage per week, which is, that's just me wanting to be able to eat more food. Um, so I have to eat run so many miles per week but um yeah it was uh i think what i think i was always curious about people who had run ultra marathons and like because it seems like this sort of completely ridiculous thing and like very unattainable and like they must be superheroes but they're not right like you go to the starting line of an ultra marathon you're like okay these people have jobs and families and, and whatever and they're normal people how the hell can they run a hundred miles? So it's very accessible. You know, you're like, well, maybe I could too. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and I, the first ultra I signed up for was a 50 K and it wasn't very, um, wasn't super steep or hilly, but I thought, okay, I can, you know, I've gotten through a marathon once before in my life and that took whatever, however, many, maybe that took me like five hours or whatever. The cutoff for the race was like 12 hours or something. And I thought, geez, I could walk this, you know, I could walk a lot of it. If I, you know, if I get shin splints or like, you know, everything swells up, I could probably walk the rest of it and get to the finish line. And I had already had days in the mountains where I was carrying a heavy backpack full of climbing gear for 14 hours. So like that was 14 hours of movement, right? I could probably do an ultra marathon. So I think coming at it from that sort of perspective, as opposed to like, someone who's run a bunch of marathons and is like, Oh, I, I run, you know, eight and a half minute miles for 26 miles. I got to carry that over into an ultra marathon. I need to run this whole thing. It was like, oh, I can just go wander around and like, and it sounds like they got free snacks. Um, I think I'll just, you know, walk around, eat cookies, run some of it and I'll probably, maybe I'll finish. Um, and from there you just find the longer distances and, um, to get excited about in different races and stuff like that. And, it's a it's a became this way of like writing about it and then also it just became my way of getting away as we talked about before um 
and quote unquote clearing my head, um, getting away from devices and email and all that stuff. So. What's then the importance of finishing it to you? What's the importance of finish lines? Um, yeah, I, I was just, you know, I just did this race last two Saturdays ago and I ended up hiking with uh, Chrissy Mel, who's an American ultra runner who won, she won the first UTMB 20 years ago. Um, and she was, I should make it clear that she was not racing this race. She was out just having a good time, but I was able to keep about finishing and stuff like that. And she, I mentioned that, you know, I, I still haven't DNF to race. Um, but I thought I was like, well, I think it's easier when you're just like slow, like me and you don't really, I imagine if you're a professional athlete and you're like, I have these five races this year, these four races, if you start out one of them and, and you're like, wow, this is not going very well. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to finish way too far back in the pack. And I'm also, I should just save myself for my next race. So maybe I'll quit here. Um, Cause I think that happens to a lot of higher, uh, higher end athletes where they would be running a hundred mile race and they get to mile 50 and it's just not going very well. And they're like, why keep dragging this out? Which makes a lot of sense if that's how you make your living. And she said that when she started, that wasn't a thing. Like finishing was a thing. Um, she's like, it just didn't occur to us. I don't think. And it became a thing later. And um, she had some more stuff to say about it. And I'm not, I'm not, would not do a good job paraphrasing her, but it was interesting to hear her say, you know, in the 20 some years she's been doing these races that that became a thing later. And I wonder if it was like, as you were able to make a living at it, you could do more of these big name races. Um, but yeah, I just, I want to get it done so I can, you know, not have to go back and like, I don't want to wonder what would have happened and be like, geez, now I got to go do that race again. Cause I had to, <laughs> bail mile 20 um that said i don't i've not had like any big injuries um i haven't had like incredible gastrointestinal distress i haven't had reasons to quit besides this sucks and i'm not having fun <laughs> which is that's what that's what it is that's what i signed up for so i've had like extremely bad blisters in in one race um that i did that i did quote unquote with canyon uh I mean, it was the same hundred <laughs> Um, but, uh, he was, he was very far ahead of me, but it was like, that was the closest I've ever been to quitting, but I still wasn't going to, it was just like, God, I don't want to have to come back and do this one again. I hate this shit. <laughs> like, let's just finish. Um, so I don't know. It like, it's probably unhealthy, but I don't know. I got a streak going now, so I might as well keep, keep at it. I guess I get my money's worth, you know? Yeah. You make that point though also most obviously in the title of your book, I Hate Running, and you can too, that most of running is really tedious. Much of it is really painful and then only a tiny little bit of it is really fun. So why do you still do the thing that you hate and why do you think others should? I mean, how much of life is actually fun, really? <laughs> I had a like, feeling you are going to say that. <laughs> like, I'm a... I'm a person who like, I love being alive. I'm going to be fucking pissed when it's over. Like I have a great time, but I'm not like every day. I'm not just like, yeah, this is fun. You know, like there's moments for sure. You're like, oh yeah. Like 
first sip of coffee. Awesome. You know, when I wake, when I go downstairs to get Jay out of his crib and he's smiling, like, this is a great moment, you know, like, I just love it, you know, and like talking to my wife about ideas and art, that's great. But like, you know, I'm awake for 16 hours. I'm not having fun for 16 hours. It's like, maybe there's like a half an hour total of each day where you're like, yeah, this is great. You know, um, I just think, I think people need more boredom in their lives. I think they need more hard things. I think like, how do you prove to yourself that you can get something done or get through some shit on a daily basis? Like we definitely all have, you know, there's, there's people who have live much less privileged lives than I have up to this point and don't need those artificial hard in their life. Like they've been through it already. Um, and I get that for sure. But a lot of us are kind of like, we need a challenge outside of work that, that we are in charge of, you know, where it's like, all right, nobody, nobody's making me do this. No boss is sitting over me. Like I'm going to fire you if you don't get this presentation done or whatever. It's like, I have to be accountable to myself to finish this goal that I to get to this goal that I wanted to do. And I think there's just so many positives in making yourself do something hard and it doesn't have to be running. It could be anything that is difficult for you. Um, and I, running is just my th thing now at this point. Um, but also, yeah, I'm never bored anymore. Right. Like, I think that's why, you know, it's baseball is an American sport, but for many, many years it's been boring and they're trying to like, speed it up this year which i have i'm like okay i get it sure that's nice but like i think the whole the greatest thing about it is it's super boring but at any moment anything could happen you know and but we don't have that in our attention span anymore and i think that's kind of sad to me you know i love going and just like having this very calm atmosphere where i'm just like eating dinner and then all of a sudden somebody hits a home run you know um but it i think it's like a negative to our or it, it's like a bad thing for us that we can't tolerate that anymore. Like it's not entertaining enough. Um, Cause I, you know, I like look at some of the things that pop up on our phones, like apps and like how we engage with sports nowadays where you go to like a game or something. And it's just like in between the action, they have to have all this action going on on the screens and all these things to keep your mind occupied. And I'm like, now I kind of want to just sit here and like talk to my friend about books in between interesting things happening or whatever we're talking about you know um so yeah i think boredom is hard for people physical things are hard for people it's i don't know what's i think that's a good thing um for us to to like keep reminding ourselves that we can we can um accomplish things and, and we can work through difficult times uh and in a, in the world's largest metaphor i guess maybe uh, if that's a marathon or a 5k or whatever people are doing or a game of cricket. Is that why Americans don't watch cricket so much? <laughs> no, I was actually I was actually with um, at Kendall with Al Humphreys, and he was explaining to me. He's like, "Did you know cricket lasts? It's it's like four days, right?" I was like, "What? What?" I'm like, "I had no idea. I've never paid attention to it." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, that's so. Yeah, we're we're in the we're like day three of this match right now, so we're like." talking about this and my friend and I are talking about this and like wow that is culturally yeah I don't think we could handle it honestly um but who, who's to say maybe someone will invent that that sport but I don't think that's where we're trending at this point you know like we'd be more excited about a four minute match at this point than a four-day <laughs> match 
I mean, many people would like a hundred miles would strike fear in into some people. Would you say the thing that you fear is boredom, or is it something else? Um, having now done though, like a few hundred mile races, I think it's like a specific kind of misery that comes from all of the things that you normally have when you're running for that long, but then also the sleep deprivation, because it takes me a long time to run a hundred miles, like 30, at least 30 hours, you know, and there are people like Canyon who can do it in like 19, you know, which is like, at that point, it's a different sport. You know, it's not even... <laughs> He's like clocking out and I'm like, cool, man, I gotta, I gotta go. I got 11 more hours or 12 more hours to go here. So I'll see ya. Um, so it becomes like, I don't know if I would say I fear it, but I definitely am not gravitating towards it at this point in my life because it wrecks me for so long afterwards, like the whole day, um, as opposed to like 100K, which is like, you're done in like, what much less time you're going to bed that night, you know, and, and you get sort of that like, wow, I'm really this is this is definitely difficult for me, but I'm going to eat dinner, even if it's at 10 p.m. Then I can go to bed. But yeah, the whole sleep deprivation thing is just rough for me because it's like going through the night and then the sun comes up and you're like, OK, I got to keep like another eight hours here. This sucks, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole different whole different animal for me, and I, I'm not sure that I would maybe maybe in like five or six years but right now it's impossible for me to say oh yeah i need to go do this like training run that's gonna last six or eight hours you know i can't really can't really excuse that right now because i can access a lot of stuff about running through the shorter distances um that i don't def definitely don't need to do with 100 um but yeah fear is a healthy that's a healthy way to approach a 100 mile race for sure um it's absolutely normal in my opinion Something else that involves a lot of sleep deprivation is becoming a new dad. Was that also terrifying? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I was 43, 43 and a half when, when Jay was born. And um, I think when we talked about it, we were, we were kind of like, up until a few years ago, we were just kind of like, ah, yeah, I don't think we're interested in, in having kids. For, for whatever reasons. And then Hillary kind of came around to it and was like, gosh, I don't know. Maybe we should, maybe we should do this. And the more I thought about it, fear was the really the only reason that we that I wasn't doing it. No matter what I said otherwise, it was just like, no, it's because I'm scared. Um, and so I was like, yeah, if you're if that's if that would if you think that's a good idea, we should try. Um, and we did. And once we found out she was pregnant, I started interviewing other friends of mine who were dads, like for an hour at a time on a video call with the hopes of turning into a book someday. Um, and I've gone through, I've done 40 of these so far. And before he was born, every single one of these conversations made me feel better every time I did it, because it was like this, you know, all the parenting books are like sort of a lot of written from the point of view of an expert to tell you how to do it and like, what's, what's the right choice and everything. And I got so much more out of just talking to these people who were like not experts who had survived it. You know, no one is an expert at it, you know, for the most part. 
And it was just kind of like, yeah, this was awful. And then we did this and this worked, this didn't work for us. This might work for you, you know, um, sharing those things. And, you know, that was, that was incredible. It was like the sort of wisdom of uh, standing around with people at a barbecue or a soccer game and just being like, well, yeah, here's what we tried, um, which is the way a lot of us get information as opposed to being, you know, told by an expert on what the best thing is to do, which I think causes a lot of anxiety. But when you're talking to your shithead high school buddy that you did all this stupid stuff with who you don't think should be allowed to drive a car, let alone, you know, reproduce. And, and they're like, yeah, you know, the kids are eight now. And yeah, they were, you know, whatever. We went through all these trials and tribulations and it's working out and you're like, okay, well, if he can do it, maybe, maybe I'll be okay. So, and I also wanted to like, you know, when you talk to dads specifically who are in a heterosexual relationship and they say, I love being a dad, you have no idea how involved they are. You know, like, like, do they travel 50 weeks a year and just show up on Saturdays and make pancakes? And that's what being a dad, you don't know, you know, like, have they ever changed a diaper? You don't know that stuff. So I wanted to get into that with some of my friends and be like, okay, so how many diapers did you change? You know, <laughs> and, um, as an indication of how present you were and like, what, what system did you work out for getting up in the middle of the night and, and all that stuff. Um, so it was, it was incredibly interesting and I hope to do something with it um, down the road here for sure. But it helped me a lot. And um, fear is, fear is like not a great reason to not do something. I don't think um, obviously to a certain extent and it's, you know, not applicable to every situation, but but yeah, that was that was what it came down to for us or for me personally. I guess it comes back to what we said with Rolf and also kind of gets to the heart of your communication of why you can run um, and you sort of being the, the everyman <laughs> who runs and the importance of communicating that to everyone else that actually you you're OK, <laughs> you're doing it OK. And there's no kind of quick fix or right answer to this weird thing that life is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, like my favorite thing about ultra marathons is that is how much applause the last place finisher gets, which doesn't happen in any other sport, right? Like in basketball, if you're last place, you're a loser, you know? If you're if you finish last place in an ultra marathon, for some reason people are really happy for you. And I think that's like the greatest thing, you know, because it's like, oh, yeah, you get a participation trophy, but you just did something like basically superhuman, you know, according, you know, relative to the rest of the population, you know, you got last place, but wow, you just ran, you know, 50K or 50 miles or whatever and like survive that stuff. So such an appropriate uh, response. Um, just to, as another marker of, of, of achievement, um, I joked with Adam Mary, um, who's an American trail runner, um, about the fact that new dad energy means that he's now crushing races. So I'm curious whether new dad energy has made you any better at frying eggs. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean we make I make we make Jay little like omelets which is I'm okay at that but like yeah Frank yeah no I've like I got like a, a fish spatula which is like a very thin 
you know, like a nonstick pan. And like, I just, I just don't think that's, I mean, I'm trying, but like, it's just better for me to break the yolks and like, just admit defeat immediately. And like, like, what are we talking about here? I can't like when I go into a restaurant and they're like, how do you want your eggs? And it like occurs to me how many different ways eggs could be prepared. And I think that there's somebody back there who's not only doing that, but also like making sure the hash browns and the toast come out at the, like, that is like sorcery. I don't even understand. Like, who is this magician you have hired? Where did you find this person? And it's just somebody who's like, yeah, it's cool. I got it. Um, but I can't. That's that's mind blowing to me. So, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, that's not going to be something I do. Um, I, I just don't value the, I just don't value having an over easy egg uh, well cooked that much in life that I'm going to work at it that much more. Um, there are other ways to succeed in the kitchen, I think, and maybe I'll focus on those. I think someone who can do hash browns and over easy eggs needs to be president, basically. <laughs> that needs to be a marker of proficiency for <laughs> the political system. Yeah. Yeah, like when is the last time one of our presidential candidates actually cooked? You know what I mean? Or went to wash dishes, even, you know? It's like, like, I'm a man of the people. Like, really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I don't, that, that would be a good test, actually. Um, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I think I've wanted to laugh and cry in equal measure, which I guess kind of reflects much of the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of clowning. Um, and my final question for you, Brandon, is what does joy mean to you? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I um, I've been thinking for it's probably a year and a half since I read something to this effect where it was like not focusing on the idea was not focusing on happiness, but focusing on not being sad. And, you know, I'm not necessarily walking around with a huge grin on my face all the time, but I don't have that much sadness in my life. And maybe that's joy, you know, to me is just like, Oh yeah, I'm not like all over the place. Like, exploding with with happiness at all times but i'm definitely not feeling that bad most of the time so that's kind of joy i think that's a very uh that might be a very negative answer compared to what you're looking for but uh but that's kind of what i'm thinking now you know it's like yeah that was a good day you know nothing bad happened you know i mean maybe some bad things happened but they weren't that bad but you know um but that's that's how i kind of have been navigating the last last year and a half or so since i read that I think it's I think it's pretty healthy instead of instead of uh, the idea of um, there's a quote that my my wife and I it's her favorite movie um, 20th century women and in it Annette Benning's character she's playing a single mom who's in her 50s I think at the time of the film but her son says something to the effect of mom are you happy or do you think you're happy and she said she says I think asking yourself if you're happy is just a great way to be depressed. And I think about that all the time. Like, am I happy? Like, maybe don't focus on that, you know? Um, so yeah, it's more of a, more of a lack of, lack of sadness that is, that's useful to me at this point. Every soul 
I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.